Lots of channels, nothing to watch, especially if you're searching for the truth. It's time to interrupt your regularly scheduled programs with something actually worth watching. Salem News Channel, straightforward, unfiltered, with in-depth insight and analysis from the greatest collection of conservative minds like Hugh Hewitt, Mike Gallagher, Sebastian Gorka, and more. Find truth. Watch 24-7 on SNC.TV and on Local Now, Channel 525. I see my name in shiny lights, yeah, a different city every night, oh, I, I swear, the world better prepare for when I'm a billionaire. It's time to get down to business on the weekend's number one business program. Known as the king of networking, your host, Shalom Klein, has worked with thousands of entrepreneurs and created countless jobs. So, to success, let's get down to business. And indeed, we're all about small business jobs and entrepreneurship and business. We talk a lot about business here. You're on with Get Down to Business, and I'm your host, Shalom Klein. Remember, you can always download podcasts from Get Down to Business on my website at ShalomKlein.com. And while you're there, don't forget to follow me on Twitter at Shalom Klein. It's going to be a jam-packed week of content and information you will not want to miss. So let's jump right in. I am thrilled, ecstatic actually, to be joined by Brent Bowers, the coach of the Land Sharks with Wholesaling Inc. And Brent is an investor and coach with a focus on buying and selling vacant land. Sounds easy enough. But I know Brent has been spending quite a bit of time of building this and is very, very passionate about teaching this for other folks. Brent Bowers, welcome to the program. All right, get down to business. Let's go. Absolutely. I love to get to know the person behind the microphone, Brent. You and I were just talking offline, so hearing a little bit about your service in the military. Thank you for that. Um, but you know, how did you go from just a just a regular dude to an army officer to now the subject matter expert buying and selling vacant land and inspiring others to do the same? You know, we we run from problems or we run towards pleasure. I was the guy running away from a problem. And that was, uh, you know, I joined the military in 2009 uh, after the real estate market. I kind of got crushed in it. And, you know, things happen for us, not to us. And I look at that as a great experience during that meltdown 2008. Uh, but I joined the military October 2009 went to basic, then AIT training, then straight to Germany, and then about a month later in Afghanistan. And my first marriage pretty much fell apart because I was gone all the time in the military. Just like you, Shalom, you're, you're deployed right now and appreciate your service. Um, but uh, I just kind of was going through that process. It crushed me. That was like the worst thing that ever could have happened to me. And then the Army allowed me a green to gold opportunity where they basically take a couple hundred active duty soldiers each year and allow us to go through Reserve Officer Training Corps program college. Basically, I was paid to go to college for about two years. Uh, I met my current wife there while I was in college, and we got married very quickly and then had our first baby very quickly. And then I was pretty much out of training and back in the saddle as a, as a brand new second lieutenant. And I was back to work in like 13, 14 hour days, preparing for another deployment and history was repeating itself. Always gone, always away, always training, always deploying. So I knew I needed to do something a little different because now I saw myself as a family man. I wanted to be around to you know, see my wife each night, uh, see my, my newborn son each night. And 
I knew I had to figure out a way to get out of the army. So I did it with real estate investing and my niche of real estate investing is land, vacant raw land with no improvements. Awesome. Amazing. So my takeaway over here is join the army and, you know, life goes up and up and down, but certainly it's uh, helped you find yourself as well, which is awesome. And I know that in a pretty short amount of time, you've expanded your business, hired a team. And I know you talk about this frequently, uh, most importantly, spending quality time with your family. So what should our listeners know other than when they drive down the highway and they see vacant land um, and, you know, they're, they're usually like, oh, Wow, more vacant land. What, what, what should people know about this space that, that, that gets you excited to wake up every morning, keeps you up maybe a little bit at night as well? Yeah, it's definitely an untapped, you know, we call it the blue ocean strategy. There is so much vacant raw land in the United States. And a lot of this I, I started doing actually virtually because I was in the field training and I would I would send out some letters to vacant land owners that were, you know, behind on their taxes. We call it the tax delinquent list. And I would send them a letter, a very simple letter saying, hey, I'd like to buy your land at one, two, three Main Street. If you're interested in an all cash fair price offer, call me or text me. And I would get the calls and the texts and I would return them during if I had a break or a lunch break or on the weekend when I had some time. And I would figure out what these people were looking to get out of their land. And I would try and get out of the biggest discount possible. I would get it under contract. And then I would start shopping for a buyer on places like Craigslist and, you know, signs on the side of the road and Facebook marketplace and Facebook buy sell groups, free ways to sell it. So I would line my buyer up before I would even purchase this land. And most people look at vacant raw land and they don't even look twice at it because there's no house to flip. There's not a HGTV show about flipping raw dirt and there's nothing sexy about it, but it's just completely untapped because most people don't see a way to make money with it. And how I've made money with it is I buy it at such a discount and I turn around and find someone that wants to pay me a little bit more than what I paid for it, either by basically assigning my contract, selling my contract for it, or I just buy it with some cash and get a down payment from my buyer to hopefully cover what I've got into the land and then get monthly payments. That's how I was able to get out of the military. I had to make about five grand a month back then to cover all expenses. And it took me almost nine and a half months to get to nine grand a month. And that was my release from the golden handcuffs. It was the release from the carrot, you know, type the, 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 the horse or, or the, uh, the goat that's always walking towards the carrot. I was able to get out of that because my expenses were covered. I was virtually was financially free. And it gave mm-hmm. me the opportunity to think about other things in life, like not money. You know, sure. what, what else is there about life? Like to spend time with our friends and our family and, you know, help other people in the world. So practically speaking, uh, Brent, what, who, who is the profile of the, of, of the ideal candidate to get into this, call it investment opportunity, um, that I know you're so passionate about? You know, I say entrepreneurs. I, I've been an entrepreneur since I was a little kid. You know, after the hurricanes in Florida, the Miami-Dade hurricanes back in 19, uh, 1992, Hurricane Andrew, uh, my grandmother had allowed us to use one of like her weather radio. And after that hurricane, we no longer needed that weather radio. So I went door to door to sell it. So anybody like that, that's an entrepreneur that's looking to build a business that serves them and their families and others. Uh, because I didn't get into this business to have another job. I already had a job. 
I was looking for a, a business to serve me, to provide me income. You know, I, some people call it a side hustle. That's what it was in the beginning. But I knew that I didn't need that income for about three years because I still had that on my contract with the military. So I just built it for about three years until I was able to comfortably live on it and quit my job or get out of the military. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's amazing. And so uh, talk a little bit more about about your work um, in this space directly. I know that you are now a coach and advisor, like I said, a subject matter expert. You've now hired a team. Um, certainly gone beyond those initial, uh, I think you said four grand that you were hoping to make um, uh, to cover your expenses. But where where are you investing and where do you see the greatest opportunity um, in the United States over the coming years? There's a lot of great states that people are moving into. If you just Google the North American migration map, you can see where people, where Americans are moving out of and moving into like places like Florida and Texas and, uh, you know, those North Carolina, South Carolina, people are flooding into those states. Those are some of my best states right now. I'm buying and selling land, but I started out in my own backyard, my own backyard doing real estate deals because there's lands all over. You don't, you don't have to go virtual right away. And to answer the uh, the first part of your question, I put out a YouTube video every single day of the week, Monday through Friday, talking about land investing and what I do. If you just go to YouTube and search Brent Bowers, subscribe to that channel. I appreciate it if you do. And I, and I teach you a lot of my methods, like a lot of the stuff that I'm doing and teaching other students to create businesses where, I mean, some of my students have made a million dollars in the last 12 months off of vacant raw land alone. That's awesome. And we, we're running out of time, and I want to squeeze in one more question, perhaps the most important question of all. To the entrepreneurs that are listening um, now, wherever they are in the world, you are an entrepreneur. You have built a team. What is the one, perhaps, mistake that you've made that you wouldn't want somebody else to make or the one bit of advice that you've received that you want to share with all of our listeners? You know, just trying to do everything, not, not finding someone to kind of help me sooner in the beginning, you know, not making that love, loathe list. You know, the things I love, I, I, I should keep doing. But the things I just that just drained my batteries in the beginning, I thought I had to do it myself because I couldn't afford to pay someone. But it was that thought of thinking I had to pay someone to do it that people are willing to jump on board, you know, a moving train. So there was people out there that were willing to help me and share on the profits in the very beginning a lot faster than what I actually hired. So just start helping people, bringing people on board that can help you, you know, do what you do best and find other people to help you out with the rest. I love that. I love that so much. Again, we've been chatting with Brent Bowers. We've been chatting all about entrepreneurship, about lifestyle, and certainly about investment in vacant land all over the country. Um, But Brent, how can we get in touch with you if you want to learn more and see those awesome videos that you're putting out? Yeah, go to YouTube, search Brent Bowers. I'm also on Instagram, Brent L. Bowers. That's fantastic. Well, we'll definitely check that out. We'll definitely link from our pages and definitely stay in touch. And I certainly know that we will be hearing a lot more from you, my friend. Again, Brent Bowers, definitely look him up. He pops up all over online. But we've got to squeeze in a very quick break here on the show. All about small business jobs and entrepreneurship. Get on my website anytime, shalomkline.com. We've got a lot more content, a lot more information for you. Don't touch that dial. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Get Down to Business, the show all about small business jobs and entrepreneurship. So we know that we face enormous existential threats in our world today that make for a bleak future unless we're going to take swift action. And let's face it, China and the United States rep- represent the two 
largest economies in the world, which means that we have a huge impact on what's going on. That's why I am so excited to welcome the one and only Geshe, Michael Roach, um, who is the co-author of China Love You, The Death of Global Competition. Um, Michael, welcome to the program. Uh, thank you for having me, Shalom. Yeah. Absolutely. It is a pleasure. I always love to get to know the person behind the microphone. You have a fascinating background. Certainly, again, this book, China Love You, The Death of Global Competition, which I know um, just came out about two months ago or so. But let's talk about you for a second, Michael. Um, who are you? Uh, well, the short story is um, I grew up in the United States. Uh, I was lucky enough to get into Princeton University. And... Um, they sent me to the Himalayas for a, to study society in India, and then I ended up uh, studying uh, in a Tibetan monastery for 25 years. And um, then when I, just before I came back, uh, my teachers encouraged me to see if I could use this ancient wisdom to start a business, uh, and then we, to fund a charity that we have to save ancient books. Uh, that we do with Hewlett Packard Corporation. So, um, so they, I was sent back uh, to start a business to see if I could use the ancient principles in a business in Manhattan. And we started with three people. Uh, we we decided to make jewelry, and that became the largest diamond jewelry company in the world. Uh, it reached two hundred and fifty million dollar annual sales, and in two thousand nine, we sold it to Warren Buffett. Oh, amazing, amazing, amazing. Congratulations on all of that success, mm -hmm. and certainly all of those experiences have led you and your co-author, Dr. Eric Wu, um, mm -hmm. to write this book because you understand something very, very, very unique. Um, so you talk about some things in the book, and I've got to dig into it. You talk about how Chinese and American cultures view things very, very differently. Uh, Michael, can you explain what that means? Again, two of the world's superpowers but very different mindsets. Yeah, and I think, um, you know, to be frank, uh, in business and in politics, uh, we are the two greatest powers in the world. If we can work together, and if we can really support each other, then, you know, the world is going to be peaceful and economically very prosperous. And if we sort of compete with each other and, and uh, disagree with each other, fight with each other, um, it's going to be a problem for the whole world, and it's going to be uh, difficult economically for the whole world. So the book, uh, the first part of the book, is to try to share uh, experiences that I've had uh, working in China for, I don't know, over 20 years, and just trying to get to know Chinese people and their habits a little differently. I'll, I'll give you one example, uh, which is that... Uh, in, in China, uh, because it's uh, a, a, such a huge population, it's 1.4 billion people total, which is about 400% uh, bigger than the, more people than the United States, in the same amount of land, and by the way, the farmland is only half of what we have, so you're trying to support basically uh, eight people instead of one person uh, in China, and over 5,000 year history, uh, they've just learned to live in a bigger, in a more crowded environment, and that requires more cooperation uh, with each other. So 
I, when I think of the American uh, personality that I grew up with, and I was encouraged to be an individual, to make my own decisions, even in a group, uh, I, it, it, for example, a corporation, I, I was encouraged to think for myself and speak out, and even if it rubbed some people the wrong way, but, but that's the American ideal. You see it in American movies. But in China, it's the opposite. If everyone spoke out, if everyone went their own way, uh, because there's so many people in a small space, uh, it would be chaos. And, and they have had civil wars. We had a civil war, half a million people died in four years. They had civil wars for 5,000 years, and they really don't want uh, another one. So, so it's tighter. Things are tighter inside the country. There's more of a policy, and there's more of a philosophy mm-hmm. that we go along with the group, we support each other. And, and, and then you take these two mindsets of China and the U.S., and of course there's going to be some, some conflict between the mindsets, I think. That's for sure. I'm chatting with the co-author of China Love You, The Death of Global Competition. Uh, again, I'm chatting with, uh, with the one and only uh, Michael Roach, um, who certainly we've been talking a little bit about Michael's experiences um, earlier. Uh, and I find it interesting. Again, we've talked a little bit in this conversation about global competition. Obviously, the title, The Death of Global Competition. What would you and your co-author, Dr. Eric Wu, argue is the human cost to this global competition that we face um, because of our two massive superpowers not necessarily seeing eye to eye. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, You know, uh, what we do in the second half of the book is we go to the oldest printed book in the world, uh, which is uh, called the Diamond Cutter Sutra. And it was, uh, you know, it was first given as a lecture two and a half thousand years ago, but then the first printed version of the book came out of China about 1,200 years ago, and that's the first printed book in the world. And that book gives a very interesting argument that when we try to understand each other, when we try to cooperate with each other, when we recognize we have cultural differences, and we kind of excuse those differences for each other, that we're both going to make more money and we're both going to have a more prosperous country. So that's kind of the, the basic message or the basic idea of this book is that uh, Dr. Wu and, and my own personal experiences working together as a Chinese businessman and, a, and an American businessman, uh, we could have competed. We were in the same market. And we got to know each other, and we spent time with each other to find out about our differences and to kind of get used to being different with each other. And then we found ways that we cooperate. And, and we made a huge amount of money and a huge success. So I, I think if we could uh, learn about each other more, we could learn about our, our different histories. Uh, the history of China is completely different from the U.S. That explains the difference between us. And if we can work together, uh, we just all make a lot more money. And that's, that's, the book kind of has a blueprint 
yeah. of how we could work together and make a lot more success. That's fantastic. And that's a perfect segue to probably uh, the last piece that we're going to have to end on because of time is, again, you argue in your book, China Love You, The Depth of Global Competition, that China and the United States can actually create a safer and a more prosperous world together. Real quickly, 30 seconds or less, what is the premise of your book of how can we make that happen? Uh, well, I think the, the basic premise in 30 seconds is that uh, psychologically and logistically, when we try to help another country, uh, we both succeed. Uh, it, it ends up helping both countries. When we take some American resources and happily share them with China, and China shares their resources with us, the combined effect is great profit uh, great and great prosperity for both countries. Yep. Fantastic. Amazing. Again, I've learned so much in this conversation with Michael Roach, the co-author of China Love You, The Death of Global Competition. Um, certainly a fascinating personal story, a fascinating corporate story, and all of that uh, combined with co-author Dr. Eric Wu um, has come together in this book, which is a must-read, China Love You, The Death of Global Competition, just came out in June 2022. Um, Michael, perhaps the most important question that I could ask is how can we get in touch with you and pick up a copy of this fantastic read? Uh, well, it's available on Amazon, and uh, it's called China Love You, uh, which it, the, the name is a funny name. Uh, one time uh, when I gave a lecture in China, someone wrote on a piece of paper, China Love You, and uh, that we chose it for the name of, of the book. And, uh, and you can just get it on the normal outlets like Amazon, Fantastic. and it's, uh, it's available. In. And I think uh, it would help a lot if a lot of us read the book and understood more Definitely. about Chinese. Well, I definitely want to make sure everybody picks up a copy of the book, China Love You, The Death of Global Competition. We're about to be cut off by commercial break, so don't touch that dial or listening to Get Down to Business, the show all about small business jobs and entrepreneurship, and we will be right back. Welcome back to Get Down to Business, the show about small business jobs and entrepreneurship. We're in for a real treat over here because I'm thrilled to be joined by Steph Clapham, the principal researcher at Latana, a leading Berlin-based business-to-business startup for AI-powered brand tracking solutions. And let's face it, small businesses and startups are completely overwhelmed. I can tell you I am with who they should be tracking, what they're doing, and so on. Um, And that's why we've got this experienced researcher. Steph, welcome to the program. Hi, thanks so much for having me. Absolutely. Every single business, every single entrepreneur listening to this program is asking the same question. How can I resonate with my target audience? And it's a good thing you're here. Steph, how can we do that? Absolutely. Um, So, I mean, at Latana, we are very much focused on innovation-driven consumer insights to help brands do exactly that, to measure their performance among their consumers in their market, and also to kind of get a better grasp of their target audiences. So I think the first step in ever kind of reaching a target audience with your product or your brand is always to know how they think, how they react to your brand, and always have that kind of first step ahead of the consumer to know what, what the ind- how the industry is moving and what they're going to want. For sure. Absolutely. And again, with so many folks, uh, especially during the pandemic, um, sort of trying their entrepreneurial hand, getting things started. A lot of people hear data and they roll their eyes because they think that's just for big businesses. That's just for large corporations. But I know, Steph, I know you and your team, Latana, I know you argue that quality data is important for everybody. What does it take to get quality data? And I mean, 
what should a small business owner do in order to get started in that process? Absolutely. Um, so one of our core focuses at Latana is to help the exactly as you said, the, the smaller to kind of mid-sized company understand that their consumers. Traditionally, this is a very hard thing to do because it requires extremely precise and accurate measurements of data. If you have kind of a very low awareness of your brand, for example, then it's going to be very difficult to do much more with that data set. If only a small portion of your sample know the brand, they can no longer kind of answer anything further on the brand. So we have a few kind of methodologies that we focus on to ensure that our data is extremely accurate and reliable. Um, the first one I'd dive into quickly would be our sampling methodologies. So a lot of companies in this uh, space, in this industry, focus on a very traditional and kind of, in my opinion, outdated means of collecting online survey data. And these typically tend to be um, panels of people who have kind of signed up to do a survey on a regular basis. This can be kind of problematic in a few ways. Firstly, you have a finite pool of these people who have signed up willingly. And secondly, um, these people are quite professional in the way that they take these surveys. So they know the survey, they know how to manipulate it kind of thing. So we actually partner with um, what are called uh, DSPs, so demand side platforms, to allow us to tap into a very kind of lucrative and vast ad network. So we show our surveys as regular ads and people kind of choose whether they want to participate or not. So this really does enhance our reach to, to people in the world and also the quality of answers we get because no one's really incentivized to provide um, a misleading answer in the survey. Mm -hmm. um, and we're going to go back to that term incentivize in just oh, a yeah. moment. But one thing that I know, you know, a lot of small business owners and entrepreneurs um, and big businesses um, are used to is a lot of surveys, a lot of surveys. You know, there's some some sites that may rhyme with Hervé Unki um, <laughs> that have made it pretty easy. But how can somebody get started in designing a survey that will field useful results? And again, we're chatting with the expert, Steph Clapham, Clapham from Latana. Um, and I know you know a thing or two about uh, resonating with target audience, as we said, and getting that quality data. So when we were talking about surveys, what do we need to do? So I think, I mean, really the, the kind of number one thing you want to avoid doing is biasing the respondent in any way or inputting kind of an influence on the respondent in any way. So every time you think about asking a question to a consumer, it really needs to be removed of your own personal input, your own personal opinion, and be designed in a way that doesn't lead them to a particular answer. So some ways that we do this, for example, is to silo the brands that we're we're assessing so sometimes if you have a list of um many different brands in a question and you might say which of these brands do you know it's very misleading if there's lots of logos there's some brands with lots of uh, resonation with people and others that are very low resonation also kind of logo designs implements the way that people select brands so we really try to focus on questions in an individual style so that we really focus the attention of the consumer Absolutely. Um, wonderful. And I know we, we promised we'd get to this. I just want to ask this real quick. Um, you mentioned incentivized sampling. What is non-incentivized yeah. sampling and how can it benefit us? So incentivized sampling is any kind of sampling where you're offering a reward for the p participant to complete the survey. So this is typically something like a voucher or a point-based system, but basically they have to complete the entire survey in order to receive the reward. Non-incentivized sampling is basically the opposite of that. It's a very casual and opt-in uh, mm -hmm. format of surveying where people just give their opinions because they want to rather than they're being you know, incentivized to do that. 
Okay, fantastic. Very, very helpful. And, you know, I've learned a lot in, our, in this conversation. I know you and your team at are doing amazing, amazing things. And all of our listeners should definitely get in touch with you so they can learn all of the great information that you're putting out. How can we get in contact with you and your team? So you can head to our website, which is www.latana.com. That's L-A-T-A-N-A. Um, or we have the kind of usual uh, social media links. So LinkedIn, um, Instagram, and Facebook. You can find us all over there. Steph Cladlin, thank you so much for joining us. I look forward to bringing you back on real soon to continue this conversation. So important about data and so much valuable information for small businesses and entrepreneurs. Um, we've got more for you after this quick break, so you don't want to touch that dial. You're listening to Get Down to Business. My website is shalomcladlin.com. We'll be right back. Thanks, Ron. Welcome back to Get Down to Business, the show all about small business jobs and entrepreneurship. I always encourage our listeners to get in touch with our good friends at healthplanchicago.com. That's my good friend, Tom Mirabali. He is your source for everything Affordable Care Act. His phone number is 630-863-3477, 630-863-3477. His website, healthplanchicago.com. Um, but I am so excited to be joined by former tech executive, Pete Deveni, who has spent 37 plus years of an engineering career at the as a top executive at large global companies. And now he has been very focused on helping folks in the tech field succeed. And he's recently released Decoding Your STEM Career, which is certainly a very, very hot topic. Um, but I always love to start with the background of our amazing, amazing guest. And Pete, um, I've been reading up about your career. You've done a lot of things. Um, can you tell our listeners what they need to know about you? Well, thanks, Shalom, and a pleasure to be on this show. And uh, yeah, very briefly, I've had a, a long 37-year career in engineering, the last 25 or so in leadership positions at companies like BlackBerry and Dematic, which is the largest warehouse uh, automation integrator in the world. Uh, and, and really, my focus in my career, which started with very hands-on uh, technology development. I'm an electrical engineering uh, grad by by background. Was to figure out what are all of the skills, particularly the skills that I was lacking naturally, to help me reach my maximum potential in my career. And and if there's anything I'm good at, it's identifying the things that I'm bad at and figuring out a way how to how to get better at those things. And that's really what the what the book is about. It's identifying all of those skills that that you really need to polish up in order to achieve your maximum potential in your technical career. Yeah, absolutely. And I know in the book, again, it's called Decoding Your STEM Career. Um, you share a lot of stories from your personal experience as a technology executive. And now I love it. You're putting them all to paper to share it with others. So... You know, it's interesting, uh, as I've been reading uh, bits and pieces of your own career, certainly I've been thinking that it's definitely uh, everybody makes mistakes at some point along the way in their career. I certainly have. It looks like you have as well. Uh, surprise, surprise. And um, I know that you say that we can learn from those mistakes. Do you mind sharing one of those sort of errors that you maybe can now laugh about with our listeners and what do you learn from it? Yeah, and, and, and thanks for, for raising that because uh, in the book, 
I, I do share a lot of mistakes that I made throughout my career. I believe that not only did I learn more from the mistakes than the successes, but certainly when you write a book of this nature, readers learn more from the mistakes that others made. You know, one example uh, that I that I often talk about is I was a, a really pretty terrible presenter early in my career. I remember a meeting that I attended when I was at IBM, a small meeting, seven, eight people in the meeting room. I was very early on in my career, and I was presenting to this small group. I knew the material well. But I honestly just did a, a horrendous job. I was nervous. I stuttered. I began to sweat. One of my friends leaned over, uh, literally uh, having trouble containing his laughter and handed me a, a paper napkin to dry, dry myself off. Uh, I, was, I was as bad as bad could be. And it was at that point that I really realized a, how big a problem I had. B, how important it was to learn how to communicate effectively and with confidence in a wide array of situations. And uh, so I took a, a course by, that IBM offered, and, and I became much better at it. And it, uh, it really changed the trajectory of my career uh, going forward. Amazing. I appreciate you sharing that and being so open about that. Um, and I know you've talked in your book about being really, uh, I think you say being nice is really a key ingredient in the workplace as well as in life, and it ends up paying you back in the end. Can you share perhaps when that may have occurred? Yeah, uh, and I think it is so important. I think it's important for how you want to be viewed by other people and, and uh, just to help you succeed in your career. And what happened with me is that uh, early on in my career, I, uh, in one situation, I helped someone else achieve their success uh, or achieve success in their career by uh, assisting them with a project that they were working on when they were a student. They came back to work with me subsequently and stated to IBM that they really wanted to come back because they wanted to work with me again. And that direct input influenced my manager's decision to put me in my first team lead position. So that act of kindness paid me back. And that was one example of similar situations that happened over in over and over again in my career, where you do things to benefit others, help them achieve success, uh, you do things for the benefit of a team overall, but in the end, over a long enough period of time, every one of those things ends up paying you back much more than you ever anticipated that they would. So not only is it the right thing to do mm -hmm. in the course of a career, uh, it really helps your own career as well. That is for sure. Again, I'm chatting with Pete Devaney, the author of Decoding Your STEM Career. We're going to have to squeeze in a very quick break in just a moment. We'll certainly send our listeners to your fantastic read uh, based on your own experience as a tech executive. Uh, but as a reminder, you can always get on my website, shalomkline.com, or get on your favorite podcast app. Subscribe, rate, review, and share our podcast. Uh, just search for Get Down to Business. But again, a quick break. We'll be right back.
Hey, welcome back. I'm chatting with the author of Decoding Your STEM Career. That's right. I'm chatting with Pete Devaney. We've been chatting all about uh, his trials and tribulations, but certainly many, many, many successes um, as a technology executive. Um, and Pete, as we've been having this conversation so far, and thank you again for joining us, um, you know, you've talked a lot about a career. Career often involves changes, move, moves, and so on. We're living in a time of what some are referring to as the great, res- uh, the, the great resignation. When do you determine that it's time to move on to a new job, and how does mental health factor into that? Yeah, thanks for, for asking that, Shalom. It's such an important question, and, and I always go back to the, the famous quote uh, that, and, and one of my favorite quotes is, always trust your gut, it knows what your head hasn't figured out yet. And, and we really do have to listen deep inside ourselves and identify that source of, of discontent that often drives us to look for something something new and and usually it isn't one thing usually it's multiple things and what's important to do is to identify what those things are and then make a determination maybe you just need a small change within your current company or maybe you need something more significant uh, in terms of change that you look for outside I, I would say what's most important is to identify what you're looking for, be patient, uh, try to find something that is as close a match as possible. And if you make a mistake, that's okay, because it will usually lead to somewhere better in the end anyway. What's most important is to, is to take action, and particularly so when you really feel that, that uh, uh, you know, it's having a, an effect uh, deep down in your, um, you know, deep down mm-hmm. in your body psychologically. That's good advice. So certainly those, that's for folks that are in the current um, workforce and, and job market. And really, really, I couldn't agree with more with, with, your, um, with, with the way you just framed that. Um, but so many of our listeners are also current students or maybe recent graduates. What are some of the things that they can do to prepare for their career now uh, as they look at uh, yeah, and in, in that case, I, I really focus in, in, in my background being a, a technical person by background, uh, I would really say double down on building your, your technology skills, or if you're in a different field, your, your core skills that you need to get good at. Don't get into management too quickly. Uh, ultimately, to become a good leader, you have to have a good, solid, strong foundation. I always say spend five or six years in uh, individual contributor roles, really learn the job, get great at it, uh, learn how to learn new things, and, uh, and it will serve you well in your career going forward as perhaps you move up in, in the event that you decide to move into a leadership uh, stream. So uh, don't move into management too quickly is my (laughs) main advice. Absolutely powerful stuff. Um, I love your book, uh, Decoding Your STEM Career. It's certainly certainly so important. Very hot topic right now. And I know we're learning from the best over here, Pete Devaney. Um, Pete, I want to make sure our listeners can get in touch with you and pick up a copy of the book. Uh, How can they do that? 
the easiest way is to go to my website at petedeveni.com, P-E-T-E-D-E-V-E-N-Y-I.com. I uh, love to hear from listeners. The book is available online anywhere, Amazon or any other online uh, retailer as well. And uh, But I love to hear from listeners directly to get feedback, input, and, and have a discussion. Uh, so there's lots of ways to do that through my awesome. website. Awesome. Well, that's a wrap for us here on Get Down to Business, the show all about small business jobs and entrepreneurship. What a fantastic lineup of guests that we've had. You can always get a sneak peek of who's going to be on next week on the show um, by getting my website, shalomkline.com. That's also where you can download podcasts. And uh, I certainly always love to hear from listeners as well. So to success, let's get down to business. We'll talk to you next Sunday at 6 p.m. right here on 560 The Answer. <laughs> 